Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. So glad that you're here today. Fit Santa and Frostina. Wow, that's something new. Uh, Can we just give Jesus a little praise this morning for being God, being in this place? Come on, he's worthy of our best, and uh, I don't know about you, but I've already had church during that uh, time of opening worship and just singing to God. It's an amazing uh, feeling to be in the environment and presence of God, and I'm going to jump into the Word today. We, we do have um, some amazing things. January 1st, we have church service. I was talking uh, to a buddy. I was on a Stairmaster the other day at the gym, and I looked at the buddy. I was like, man, first Saturday, uh, I mean, first Sunday, Sunday, the January 1st, start with God. He's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if a lot of people are going to be in church on, on New Year's Day, Pastor. He's like, I'm just going to keep it real. I was like, I, I, re, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. We're going to all be together. Uh, you, you, go, we're gonna, you get an opportunity to start day one with God. Come on, how powerful is that? I know you might feel a little tired. Whatever your festivities are the night before, keep it holy in Jesus' name. Come to church on the first. Let's hang out. Uh, together, and then we have an amazing season of fasting and prayer, which every year God does so many miracles and answers so many prayers. I want to encourage you, if you've never been a part of that, 21 days, we're here every morning, Monday to Friday sharp, 6 a.m. to 7. We get you in and out for work, and we have worship, and people just walk all around the building, post their prayers, and pray, and, and we watch God really answer and do miracles on our behalf just as we seek him. I think it's very powerful to put God first. Um, in a year like that. And, and he's always into representation. If you give him the first, he blesses the rest. It's very, very powerful. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to look at the, the book of Luke today, uh, the traditional Christmas story you know and you've heard many times. Um, and I want to look at Dr. Luke's uh, detailed uh, account of some of it. Dr. Luke uh, is a physician and he, he captures many uh, details of the history of, of Jesus' birth, and I want to look at both. I want to look at the history, and I want to look at the medicinal purposes, because Scripture is both historical and medicinal. And so, and so if we just get the historical context, though, and we don't let it heal our soul, then there's no point. Does that make sense? And so we can learn and get history all day long, and I love history. I love that Dr. Luke attaches history uh, to the promises of God to prove that they're real. Come on, the promises of God are real. The, the promises of Jesus are attached to the proof of history, uh, but it goes beyond history, and it is actually medicine for my soul and medicine for your soul today. So the background that Jesus was born into you know the story. Mary and Joseph are betrothed to be, mar- to be married. Mary comes up pregnant by God. Joseph is like, I don't know about that story. Somebody has a little, uh, a little scandalous. A little, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, so Joe's going to put her away silently. We talked about that last week. He's going to act like he doesn't know her. And, uh, and he's going to say, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that. And, and then an angel shows up. Joe about misses Christmas because he's going to put Mary away. And, uh, and an angel shows up in a dream and says, no, that's God in her womb. He's going to save the world. Uh, she's pregnant with my baby. And Joe's like, great talk, angel. <laughs> that's good. Uh, okay. And I'll do what you say. And so he agrees to marry her. And then at this point, Mary is pregnant. She goes and sees her cousin Elizabeth 80 miles away in Hebron. Um, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And Mary stays there, many believe, for three months until Elizabeth has her child. And this is where we pick up on the story. Luke 2, 1, it says, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius, come on, what a name, don't name your babies Quirinius, uh, while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
So the historical context that Jesus is born into is that Caesar Augustus is ruling the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was a man named Octavius. Octavius uh, was the nephew um, or the grandson of the sister of Julius Caesar. And so Julius Caesar adopted Octavius as his own son and in about uh, B.C. 45 made him the official heir of the Roman kingdom. Julius Caesar was killed after he made Octavius the heir and Octavius formed alliances with two men, Lepidus and Mark Anthony. And so they formed something called the Triumvirate, the Triumvirate, a three-part rule of power, a three-part rule of government and for the next uh, many decades it was bloodshed and political promises and political power and war and it was the most heinous horrific time we had seen on the planet as this as this triumvirate ruled uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, soon Lepidus was uh, killed and put out of the way, and then Mark Anthony and uh, and Octavius became rivals. And in in the year twenty seven, uh, in the year eighty or BC thirty one, uh, as they became rivals, they had a war, and Octavius went to war against Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Cleopatra was from Egypt; she came down, joins forces with Mark Anthony, and and they had hundreds of ships thousands of foot soldiers, and Octavius had a better war strategy, and Octavius defeated Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, and, and, Mark, and Mark Anth- or Octavius became the ruling emperor of all of Rome, the one singular ruler of all of Rome at that point. And he gave his, his own name, he gave his own title, Caesar Augustus. He named himself Augustus, that wasn't part of the title, it was Julius Caesar, it was the Caesar, but Caesar Augustus actually meant emperor of the gods, emperor of the gods. In 27 BC, he arranged for the Roman Senate to give him the title Augustus. That wasn't part of the title. The word Augustus actually means exalted and sacred. I I love God. I love the way that God decides in the context and culture where there's political unrest and political upheaval, where where there's war and bloodshed and promises and false promises and chaos and government trying to rule things, and different government powers trying to come on the scene. And then one man finally takes on the title of sacred emperor, ruler of all the gods. God decides to say, oh yeah, you think you're higher and the ruler of all of the gods? Well, let me just slip this little baby boy named Jesus right up under your rule. And, and let you know that he's actually ruler of all the universe. And he, he, he's supreme over all of these promises. Come on, do we find ourselves in a similar situation in culture and context today? Come on, the bloodshed and the power and the division and the and, and oh, who's got and what promises and what political savior? The world was looking for a political savior in this time when Jesus was born, and so Jesus is born into the context where the world needed good news and glad tidings. The, Jesus was born into the context where the world needed peace and joy, and, and and God shows us that we can actually have access to that. And God says that you and I actually have access to that, and the world is still hungry for what you carry. The world is still hungry for what you have access to. The world is still hungry for the rule of God in their life. And so the scriptures that Jesus is born into are very ironic and very similar to the situations we find ourselves in today. Luke 2, 4 through 14, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth in Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, he was with, she was, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Many theologians believe that that flock were the sacrificial lambs that were used in the the religious ceremonies of the Jews on the high holidays. 
But here are the shepherds watching over the holy lambs. The holiest lamb is being announced to them. Now, there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. That was how people related to God in those days. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with a great angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. My title for today is The Magnitude of the Manger. The Magnitude of the Manger. Look at three people and say, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Father, thank you for the manger. Thank you for what it means to us. Thank you for Jesus humbling yourself. You didn't have to. Thank you that your word says that you humbled yourself. Took on the form of a man. Humbled yourself beyond that to death on a cross. And you were given the name above every name, that at which your name every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, that you've been given a name above every sphere and every power. And we believe that you were born God, you were born Lord, you were born King. We don't make you King today, you were born that way. And so we glorify you in this place today. Your manger was a big deal in Jesus' name. Amen? Uh, in society, we, we have different rules of engagement. In cultural uh, situations, there's different norms. There's different ways to relate to one another. My father's here on the front row today, and he's my dad. I'm his son, and so, Dad, I honor you. There's, there's different ways. I got my son on the front row right here. Um, there, there's different relational norms. We're trained in etiquette and, and, um, and, and manners, right? Come on, as we grow up, we're trained. There's different, different lines between the formal and the familiar. And there's different ways to relate to people. Like, and, and so like boss-employee uh, relationship. Come on, how many of you know there's different lines? You ever made that big sale and like, you know, just slapped your boss in the butt? Whoa, we made that one, you know? You don't do that. You know, the level of relationship went to a whole new place. You know, there's this, there's a line, you know, that you, you just, there's these ways to relate to one another. There's teacher, student, and there's those relationships. There's, there's a, a parent and child. And I'm in a weird position in my life right now because I used to be able to take my kids out pretty easily. Like I could wrestle them and put them on the ground and, and my daughter's really strong. It's hard for me. She gives me, a, she's a handful. My daughter, my two boys, um, I can't take them anymore. I can't, I used to take them. And, and now the line between formal and familiar is really blurred. Like, so the other day we're in the kitchen and my middle son right here, we call him Quadzilla because of his legs. They're huge and his quads. And he decided he was going to pick me up and not, and not ask permission to. And I, and I didn't want to be picked up. And he begins to handle me and it's an awkward relationship and it begins to be awkward. I'm like, son, and I use that tone. I'm like, you're carrying me and I can't get down. Like, put me down. <laughs> I used to be able to threaten him and poke his eye out and hit him in the throat. I can still do that, and I keep him guessing. But the reality is, like, <laughs> reality is I couldn't get down, and it was a little awkward. And finally, he set me down, and, 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 and that relationship was a little bit weird. There's all these lines in relationships of formal and familiar. I'm like, son, I'm your dad. Put me down on the ground. I went a little formal because I, I felt a little awkward. Jesus is born into a context where there's a line between God and humanity, between the formal and the familiar, and no one could relate to God. 
No one could get close to God. There were barriers to the blessings of God. Only a certain group of people, only a religious perfect few, were allowed to get around God and allowed to get near him. And God puts Jesus into an environment, makes an announcement to shepherds out in the field, the lowliest of society. They weren't allowed to testify in court because many thought them to be thieves. They, were, they weren't allowed to go around. They were too dirty. They were considered unclean because they had been with the animals all the time. So they weren't even allowed to get near church. Come on, some of y'all feel that way today. Some of y'all are here today because someone invited you, but you can feel that way all year round. Like, I don't know if I can get near the things of God. It's too formal. I can't be familiar with God. Jesus is birthed into a context that removes the barriers from you and God. That removes the awkward. He's born into a manger. It's a big deal. He's put into this environment where it's for all people. The angels say, fear not, for for I'm meant to be experienced by all people. God is telling you and I with the manger that I'm not just for a select few. That I'm for everybody. And I want to be a church that's for everybody and a, and a people that are there uh, for people when they need God. And, and this angel makes the declaration. The magnitude of the manger is this, that God boiled down eternity and divinity and the nature of God into the palm of our hands. Well, I can't understand God. Yeah, you can. I can't understand his ways. Yes, you can. That God summed it all up, put the bigness of all the universe into a manger. How awkward is that? I know it feels a little awkward that we can handle God, that we can actually touch God, that, that we can handle. It's awkward. I mean, baby, God was burped, somebody. That's awkward. Come on, God. Get the burp up. His diaper was changed. And some of you feel that's awkward. Some of you feel that's sacrilegious to even think that way, that God allowed us to handle him, to stroll him, to swaddle him, to walk him, to handle and touch him, that God can be touched by your life. It's the magnitude of the manger that God understands and has his heart open to you. And he puts his life into Jesus and gives us access. And I think it's so powerful. A couple of thoughts today. And we're going to worship by candlelight at the end. And uh, Jesus is announced by the angels. And the first reference to his announcement is one of great joy. It says, unto you is great joy. I don't know where your joy level, levels are today. I know this season is stressful for many people, but... But the very first announcement of God is great joy. Can I tell you that as the people of God, our distinctive should be peace and joy? As the people of God, my distinctive and your distinctive should be peace and joy. And can I be honest with you? Can I tell you that my peace and joy are fragile all the time? <laughs> my peace and joy are fragile. I, I was in the car yesterday down in Sevierville. I saw one lady. I was driving with my dad, and we had another friend, and, and we were looking at some things, and, and we're down there, and I look at this one lady. She's yelling. You ever, anybody watch Veggie Tales? Remember Bob the Tomato? This, this girl was screaming so loud in the driver's seat at one of her relatives. Her head looked like Bob the Tomato. I'm like, your face is going to explode. I started praying for her. I'm like, Dad, look at her face. She's going to die. I'm like, Lord Jesus, peace and joy for her right now. We get worked up by so many things, and we lose our peace and joy by so many things. Come on, Knoxville traffic's killing me, somebody. I lose my peace and joy. I don't know where y'all moved from, but y'all came from somewhere, and like you're driving crazy. I'm like... Oh, I need peace and joy. And, and so often the enemy goes after our joy. Here's why. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. Come on, we'll, we'll do that for Christmas and we'll enjoy Christmas. But it's in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus had joy. 
Jesus had a sense of humor. Jesus hung out and had some good wine and had some good food and had a party and hung out with people and told jokes and laughed. And on the greatest mission to save the souls of humanity, he still laughed and had joy. And he's saying that you and I can have this kind of joy that's inside of us. One third of the kingdom is peace. And one third of the kingdom is joy that comes from the gift of righteousness. The kingdom of God is in righteousness. You don't earn that. That's a gift from God. You, you just receive that. Once you get righteousness, now the byproduct should be peace and joy from the inside. A third of your life should be peace. A third of your life should be joy. It all stems from the righteousness that God gave you as a gift. Satan wants to steal our joy. Why? Um, I think it's very important. Look at John 15, 11. It says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, Jesus speaking, that my joy may remain in you. Where? In you. And that your joy may be full. I wrote it this way. Happiness is a reaction. Joy is a reservoir. And, And so the reason I think our peace and joy is so fragile is because we're conditioned to want to be happy. We're conditioned. And happy means what happens to you. Happenstance. And your circumstances would dictate your happiness. And so we get this external life that if the, if the circumstances aren't right, then our joy is stolen. But the reality is Jesus says my joy is in you, that it can be full on the inside of you no matter what's happening around you. Look at Isaiah 12, 3. Here's why the enemy steals and attacks your joy. Therefore, look at this, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Therefore, with joy, listen to that, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Literally, joy is the bucket that dips into the blessings of salvation. Joy inside of you is a, is a, is a bucket and a tool that actually allows you to dip into the salvation and the blessings of God. So if Satan can kill your joy, he can, he can actually steal and break the bucket that allows you to tap into the blessings in the life of God. He, he can't steal your salvation, so he does everything to steal your joy in order to not allow you to access all the benefits of this relationship called Jesus and God. He wants to attack you and keep you dry. Joy draws on the wells, the water of salvation. You ever been in a dry place? Come on, I know, I know when I'm in a dry place with God, that's when the enemy speaks to me about depression and suicide and envy and anger and your life's not worth anything. Come on, usually it's when I'm in a dry place. When the enemy begins to say things to me and tell me things about my life. And so, so I want to get us all to be a, a place of a well of joy and a well of peace today. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts from the wise men and then uh, we're going to worship God. I think there's some real keys to getting uh, real peace and joy and shutting the door on happiness and happenstance. Um, I want God in me to be a well of salvation. The wise men are an example. These three men, I want to look and focus in on them and, and when they showed up to worship Jesus. Jesus is born. He's probably about five years old at this point, maybe, maybe three to five. Uh, he's not a new, newborn when the wise men show up. And they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bring an entourage to honor him as king. Here's three wise men uh, with an entourage. Listen to me. They travel 900 miles, risk life and death to get to, to, to Jesus, all on a story of a star and a prophecy that they would see uh, this star that they would follow. I, I begin to ask myself, why would they follow a, a fable? I, I mean, why would they follow, even if it was a prophecy, they didn't necessarily get it from the biblical context. They got it from astrologers and different things, but they were astrologers. These men weren't just wise men. They were kings. They were kingmakers. 
They were movers and shakers in their community. They were scientists. They were philosophers. This was the highest echelon of society. What would make these men decide to risk their life to get to a place 900 miles away where a baby was? There must have been something in them that wasn't satisfied. There must have been something in them that they weren't full of. There must have been something that they thought, you know what? I'm not just going to cross the country for a fable, but if I get around this little baby that I've heard about and follow this star, something will be satisfied inside of me. Something that I'm missing. It was more than just that. It was a prophetic declaration that philosophy and science and wealth and kings and men and women would travel from afar to bow down at the feet of one born king in the earth. It's a picture for you and I in this day that all of those things, all the wealth of Wall Street, all the power of Washington, all the science of Fauci (laughs) will bow. (laughs) Will bow at the feet of Jesus. That was too far. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Science and philosophy and power players came to bow unto us. A child is born worthy of our treasure. He's greater than than what we've achieved. And so they begin to travel and they begin to lay this at his feet. They put four things at his feet. The first thing they do, and I want to encourage you with, is search for something that matters this season. They they, They had purpose in their nation. They were power movers and shakers. They had it all. But can I tell you, purpose without God is pointless. That so many of you have purpose and destiny and calling and you're pursuing that in your businesses and your families and your children and the sports and the activities and, and life and joy, all that, that's great. But, but purpose without God is pointless. And I just want to encourage you, there's a lot of fake pretend purpose out there that they don't have God. And you can have all the purpose in the world, but without God, you're just a king unto yourself. You're just the ruler of your own life. And the reality is that my, my purpose has to involve God. That's like a pilot that says he's a pilot without a plane. That ain't a, that ain't a pilot. My kids used to play pilot with a cardboard box too at Christmas, but they didn't pilots. We need God. I don't know what you find yourself in, but search for something that matters this year. Search for Jesus with all your heart. It says, this shall be a sign to you. He shall be found in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth. What a weird way to be found. Like, why would God put himself in a manger? It's an obscure, awkward place for God to be found. If I was God... Come on, I'd be four seasons, Jesus, somebody. I like that thousand count Egyptian sheets, somebody. I want good cotton sheets. I I would would have been like Rich Carlton, Jesus. I would have not have been baby in a manger, barn, trough, Jesus. That's not me. But he puts himself in that place, in an awkward, obscure place, because he wants to be searched for in the obscure, awkward places of our life. No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how awkward it is or how obscure it is, God, I don't know how I found myself here. I don't know how I got in this situation with my wife or my business or my children. I don't know how I ended up here, oh God. But you can search for him and find him in awkward, obscure places in your life today. Search for something that matters. When you find him, I believe you can find him right now. He's not far off. When you find him, he wants three things from you. Number one, he wants the treasure of your surrender. It says they found him, opened their treasures, And they bowed down. When's the last time you've actually got on your knees and and bowed before your God? I know it's awkward. 
I know it's humbling. I don't mean just worship. I don't mean just say your quick prayers at your meal and go about your business. I mean, when's the last time you put yourself in a posture of bowing before the king of all kings? Surrendered your life. Have you ever had a, somebody fall down in public and drop all their stuff and like, like you saw that happen? Come on, how awkward is that? It's, it's awkward. Like, what happens when you've, have you ever fallen and dropped everything? Anybody ever fallen? Like, you try to play it off. You try to play cool. You're like, I didn't fall. You try to act like you didn't miss the step. I missed the step going up to the office the other day. And both uh, Marissa and, and my wife were up there talking about the copier. And I was like, uh, I was like, oh, I just fell up the step. I came up. They didn't see me, but I wasn't sure if they saw me fall or not. So I was a little embarrassed. So I had to declare that I fell, you know. I was like, I fell. And they're like, well, we didn't see it, but we heard it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. It was awkward. I was embarrassed. It's, it's humbling. I mean, but what happens when you fall? What happens? I, had a, I, was, I was playing golf with somebody the other day, and one of the guys fell. An older gentleman fell over the golf bag. Golf balls are going everywhere. Everything's falling. He's older. We're worried about him. We're like, and strangers are walking up. Oh, sir. Oh, you, oh sir, sir. You okay? Sorry. Yeah, he didn't fall. You didn't fall. But, but you okay? Are you okay? Oh, your elbow. Your knee. You're okay? Let me get You're picking golf balls up for him, picking all this stuff up. We're, we're all, and we start gathering them together. We start putting him back. Helping him up. You know when you get on your knees before God, that he starts going, oh, 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 let, let, me, let me gather you together. Let, let, me, let me help you. Let me get your life back together in a few pieces that you begin as you surrender. If strangers will help you put yourself back together, you don't think God will? When you bow down before him, I, I know it's humbling and awkward, but he wants your surrender. The second thing, he wants the, the treasure of my gold. They give three gifts here, and they represent who Jesus is. Number one, they give gold. It represents that Jesus is king. Gold was given to kings. And so it represents that he's my king. I give him the things that are precious, that are valuable, my substance, my material, my wealth. My giving actually recognizes his royalty. When I give to him, you know, the Bible says it's more precious to give than to receive. I don't know, I don't know what about you, but, you know, I feel wealthy when I give. Like when I give something, Gary, if I give, when I give, if I give shoes or I had a good friend in the, in the church, the other day he, he, he snuck and found my size and gave me a pair of Jordans at the office. And I was like, it must be the will of God, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I, and, but, I, but when I give, I feel wealthy. Do you, do you know that when I, when I buy something big for myself, I don't feel wealthy? I feel guilty. You know how it is? You're like, man, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to buy all this for me. It's like, how does I feel? Man, I shouldn't. Like, I, wish I wouldn't. Like, I, sh- I think I will. You know what I mean? But when I give, I feel wealthy. And the Bible talks about that we give and actually can give to God our wealth. Faith is said 246 times in the New Testament. Hope, 185. Love, 733. And give, 2,285 times. We give our wealth to the king of all kings. Mary broke the year of wages on Jesus' feet, and it says the aroma filled the room. You can change the atmosphere of your house this year at Christmas by having a a giving heart and a giving spirit. He is king. The second treasure, I give him the treasure of my frankincense. Frankincense. Frankincense is prayers and, and vitality, not just prayers, vitality. This represents that he is priest. Number one, he's king. Number two, he's priest. They give frankincense to him. That represents his priesthood. Do you know the word priest means pontifex? That's where we get the word priest, pontifex. You know what the word pontifex means? You probably don't. That's why I'm here. That's my job. (laughs) The word pontifex, some of you might. Somebody's going to shout it out. It means bridge builder. It means bridge builder. The word pontifex (laughs) means bridge builder. 
It says that he's a priest, he's a bridge builder. That the frankincense was burned on the altar of God in the holy place of God day and night to be representative of the prayers of the people. Not just prayers, our hopes, our wants, our dreams, the aroma of our life, our vitality, our strength, everything about us we lay at his feet, the frankincense of our life. And Jesus is the bridge builder that actually gets that to God. He's the only bridge builder that can actually bridge the gap between us and God. He's the one. We say, frankincense, my life, and Lord, get it to God. When I was down in Gatlinburg several weeks ago, a good friend of mine, he develops properties, and uh, he showed me this house he bought. He's like, I just bought that house, $180,000. He's like, you like it? I was like, he goes, can you see it? It was a dilapidated shack right by Dollywood, a shack. It, It was falling apart. He's like, do you like it? Can you see? He's like, can you see it? I was like, I can't see it. He's like, neither could my wife. She's pretty mad at me. And I was like, I can't see it. He goes, man, I see it. I see this dream. I see this wall right here. I'm going to build a house around it. He's got that gift. And I looked over, and there's a, there's a mailbox, and there's a giant river where the driveway should be. And you have to go across the river. It's a giant creek, but it was riverous. And you had to go, it's not a word. It, you had to go across the river. To get to the house. And I was like, dude, did they sell you a canoe with the thing? Because I don't know how you're going to get to your house. He's like, oh, that's no big, big deal. We'll, we're going to build a bridge. I was like, you're going to build a bridge to get to the dream that you see? He's like, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what Jesus is our priest is. He's the bridge builder that gets you to your creativity and to your dream and to the thing that you see in God. He's the one that actually takes it to God. But, but you have to lay it at his feet for him to... To build the bridge. And the last one is they lay myrrh at his feet. They lay myrrh down at his feet. It's, it's weird that they put myrrh at his feet. It's a symbol that he's not only king and he's not only priest, but he's savior. Myrrh was actually meant for funerals. It's weird to give a baby something that's used in death. It's weird at the beginning of someone's life that you would give them The myrrh of death is their destiny. It was a prophetic declaration that not only is he king and priest, but he's also savior and that he was destined to die at his birth, that he was destined to to be savior from from the time he was born. Myrrh is harder to give to God. It represents our sorrows and our pain and our death and our mistakes and our failures and our shortcomings and, our, and our, the places in our heart that have been let down. Myrrh is harder to give to God because we usually protect that stuff and hide that stuff and guard that stuff and keep that stuff. And when we decide to give our myrrh and to give our pain and to give our suffering, we're saying that Jesus, you are big enough to deliver me. You are God enough to be touched by my hurts and my wounds. And I believe that your death gives me deliverance to life. I believe that there's hope and joy and peace no matter how much myrrh I've faced in this world. I give you my myrrh today, God. I give you my gold today, God. I give you my incense today, God. 1 John 1, 1, John says, we've seen the word of life. Our eyes have seen him. Our ears have heard him. Our hands have handled him. And these things we tell you, that your joy might be full. And that you might have fellowship with us. As our fellowship was with God and Jesus, that we might have fellowship with one another. What things is he telling us? We've seen God. We've handled But we've handled the articulation of God. 
the Word of God. We've handled with our hands. We've scrutinized Jesus. We've seen Him and heard Him. We've walked on water with Him. We've seen Him in boats and we've seen Him in storms and we've seen Him feed 35,000 people from a small meal. We've seen dead people raised and blind eyes open and lepers cleansed. We've seen Him with our eyes. We've scrutinized Him. John's the last eyewitness on the planet. We've seen Him. And we tell you these things that your joy might be full. That you might have fellowship, koinonia, all things in common with God. Would you stand to your feet today? You can have all things in common with God today. Whoa, that's too awkward. That's too awkward, Pastor. No, that's the manger. That's the blessing. Father, we give you our peace and joy today because we need it. We give you our gold and our frankincense and our myrrh. We need you in this place today. We worship you with all that we are and all that we have. We believe that you are born God. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.